0: What kind of church does our world need? What kind of church does our world need? My guess is if you were to approach people at random on the streets, you're going to get all sorts of answers to that question. Some who do not attend church might say the world doesn't need the church. That's my answer. Your average churchgoer are going to give you a wide range of responses. Some might say the world needs the church to be more benevolent. The church needs to be serving those in need in the community more, clothing and, and feeding the poor. Others will say the world needs the church to be more loving and accepting of those who disagree when it comes to the teachings in scripture. They need to be more, more tolerant of those with differing beliefs. Some say the church needs to be more political Others say the church needs to be less political. Some argue that the the church needs to look more like the world to reach the world. Others say the church needs to look less like the world in order to reach the world. What kind of church does our world need? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus chapter 1. You don't know where Titus is, I'll help you out. It's in the New Testament. Before the book of Hebrews, those of you all who have been with us for some time, you should know where Hebrews is. We spent a year and a half in Hebrews. So if you find Hebrews, just start flipping backwards past Philemon and you'll land on the book of Titus. For the next couple of months, we're going to be studying this epistle in a series we're calling The Right Kind of Church in a World Gone Wrong. Now, just with that title, I don't think I need to explain to some of you why this is applicable, right? Very, very applicable book for us today. In this letter, Paul describes for us what the church is to look like how the church is to function in a broken, fallen, sin-stained world, which is certainly applicable for us, right? Would you agree with me that we live in a broken world? Would you agree with me that if our churches were healthy, then they could more effectively push back the darkness in our world with the light of God's gospel? Would you agree with that? Hopefully you would. Paul agrees with this. This is a point he makes in the book of Titus. As he speaks to Titus and these churches on the island of Crete, he gives them the ingredients to be that type of church. But before we get into our text for today, let me take just a few moments to introduce this book to you. You know, I always like to do this when we start a new book, give you a little background on The book. So track with me here. We've got it up on the screen. You have this in your notes. First, who wrote Titus? Well, Paul wrote it. And the reason why we know that Paul wrote it is from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, it says, and in case you're wondering, is that the Paul or is that some other Paul? He clears that up and says, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul the apostle wrote it. Who did he write to? Well, Paul is writing to his fellow laborer in ministry, Titus, and he's also writing to the Christians on the island of Crete. While he addresses Titus throughout this letter... Paul knew that this would be read by more than Titus, which is why he is less personal, which he would be if he was just writing to his friend Titus. And he's more formal in places in this letter, knowing that this letter is not going to just stop on Titus's desk. Look at verse 4, Titus 1. Paul says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. And then in verse 5, he tells Titus, I left you in Crete. Here we learn where Titus is serving and who left him there. He is serving in Crete, and the apostle Paul left him there. Titus is Paul's protege, his apostolic representative for the Christians in Crete. And listen, it is important that they know that. And we'll explain more why here in just a moment. Let's talk a bit more about Titus. Titus was a Gentile convert to Christianity. He had the kind of relationship... Timothy had with Paul he was discovered probably during Paul's first missionary journey because Paul refers to him as one of his spiritual children notice that in Titus 1 4 many believe that God used Paul to lead Titus to Christ and Paul certainly discipled him Paul invested in Titus like he did Timothy and Luke and Priscilla and Aquila and Silas we also learn as we study about Titus, that Titus had a special gifting. He, he had learned from Paul how to minister in messy, messed up situations. He worked with Paul during his ministry to the Christians at Corinth. For those of y'all who've been with us long enough, you may remember I, I preached through 1 Corinthians and I entitled that series, Paul's Message to a Messy Church. That's exactly what it was. Titus often went in to messy churches to bring much needed reform. We learn in Paul's letter to Timothy that Titus was also sent to Illyricum, which we learn from extra biblical historical books that that was a place that was plagued with problems. He also left him in Crete to deal with the problems there. Crete was also a messed up place. We have a detailed description of what the people were like in Titus chapter 1, verse 12. Look at it with me. From one of the locals, we're told one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's pretty bad to say about people in your hometown. But I bet it was true. Of course it was, it's in Scripture. But there were churches there. God had had done a work in the hearts and lives of a handful on this island. We we do not know for sure how the gospel made it to Crete and who served there and planted churches there on this island. Many assume that it was the Cretan Jews at Pentecost who were named in Acts chapter 2 who eventually take the gospel back to the people there. Look at this uh, scripture verse up on the screen. Acts chapter 2 verse 11. We're told both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. A number of Jewish Cretans were probably among the few thousand saved on that day and chances are good that they return to their island with new hearts and a new message to share. We also learn that Paul visits this island while he is a a prisoner on his way to Rome. Those of y'all that remember our series in Acts, in Acts 27, he tries to encourage the crew of the ship to stay at Fairhaven's, which was on the island of Crete for the winter months. They refuse, and a northeastern wind carries them out to sea, and they end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta. We also know that after Paul's first Roman imprisonment, he did visit the Cretan church. We know that because of this letter, Titus. We're told by Paul that he left Titus in Crete, okay? If Paul wasn't in Crete, it would say he sent him to Crete. But no, he left him there. So Paul was there for a while, and he left Titus behind to minister. So he is writing here. In this book to both Titus and the Christians at Crete now let's talk about the date of the book again it's thought to have been written after Paul's first stint in prison in Rome historians believe that Paul was in prison in Rome twice the first time he was under house arrest it wasn't as bad the second time ended in his death but he was released for a little bit of time and it's during that time it's believed that Paul wrote The letters to Timothy and to Titus so we give it a date of around 62 to 63 around that time type of book it is an epistle the epistles were letters that were written to the churches and uh, Titus is a Pauline epistle which means that Paul wrote it it's a letter by Paul and there's also another category it lands in it is a pastoral epistle there were three pastoral epistles, First and 2 Timothy and Titus. And the reason they're labeled in this way is because they were written to encourage ministers serving in difficult contexts and are written to explain how the church is to look and how ministry is to be done in a fallen world. Now let's look at the reasons for writing The book of Titus there are a few here and I'll give you a little bit of time to write these down number one Titus is written to encourage Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him and equip him for what he needs to be to minister in this difficult context so Paul is is writing to equip his brother to minister in this difficult place it's also written to instruct the church on the importance of appointing qualified elders to lead so the churches on the island of Crete can remain strong and grow spiritually. And we're going to talk more about those qualifications in the weeks to come. And lastly, it's also written to encourage sound teaching in the church to combat false teachers who are a threat to the church. Key words. I have three here. Elders, Doctrine, and Deeds. Paul writes in this book, number one, to give the the qualification for elders... That's the majority of Titus chapter 1. He speaks also on the importance of right teaching and right which leads to right thinking, which leads to right living. So so teaching is very important. The Greek word didaskalia, translated teaching or doctrine, is used over 10 times in three chapters in Titus. The importance of good works flowing from good doctrine is also the focus toward the end of So get this, follow me here. Paul is basically going to make the argument in this book that a solid pastor and strong leaders who value the preaching of the word and sound doctrine will lead the congregants of the church to right thinking, which will give them the right desires, which will produce the right actions. It'll produce a healthy church that will make an impact in a fallen world. That's the point. The book of Titus okay so with that let's get started we're going to begin this morning where the Apostle Paul begins with the leadership of the church as many of you know I'm a glutton for punishment I'm back in school right now pursuing my doctorate of ministry in pastoral leadership and I've just read I'm in my second year I've read a ton of books over the past couple of years and a lot of them dealing with Christian leadership and and something that's a point that's made over and over again that is uh, no surprise to many of you it'll be no shock to you to learn this is a point that's made is that the church will only be as healthy spiritually and as grounded doctrinally as their leaders it's a point that's made again and again. I just read this quote a few weeks ago from one of the books that I'm reading on leadership. It says, as goes the church leaders, so goes the church. So true, and no one understood this better than Paul, which is why he leaves Titus in Crete. As we said in the intro, the believers were struggling they were trying to live as a godly church on a godless island. An island where they were surrounded by liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Titus 112. Sound familiar? The church in Crete was surrounded by wickedness and blatant immorality. Does that sound familiar? There were false teachers. There was also bickering and fighting taking place within the church again does that sound familiar of some of our churches the churches in Crete were struggling to be in the world and not of the world yet worldliness was seeping into this church Does that sound familiar many of the Cretan believers had one foot in the church and one foot in the world again sound familiar very applicable And so Paul leaves Titus with them and he writes to him and he encourages him while serving under these difficult circumstances and he writes to the believers there to let them know what he has left them by leaving Titus with them and the steps that they need to take to make an impact in this ungodly part of the world. This morning we are going to focus in where Paul starts By looking at the kind of leader a church needs in a world gone wrong paul is going to describe to titus the churches in crete and us his greater christian audience the characteristics of the model christian leader and he is going to do so by putting himself forward as the example paul often did this here's what Paul is going to do in the first four verses of Titus 1 he is going to first give his credentials then he is going to show what the mission of a godly leader should be by sharing his mission in ministry and lastly he is going to share with his audience what he has left them by leaving Titus with them he has left his disciple his protege, his apostolic representative, his spiritual son who has the same heart for ministry and shares the same faith as this great apostle. He has left them with with Titus, the right kind of leader in a world gone wrong. So that's where we're going today. Notice first that Paul begins by reminding Titus and the Christians at Crete of his credentials. Notice Paul's credentials. Look at Titus Chapter 1, verse 1. And that's point number 1, Paul's credentials. Titus 1.1. 1, 1. He says this, Paul, a servant of God. Let's stop there for just a moment. Paul often refers to himself in this way. The word translated servant here is the Greek word doulos. It means a slave by choice, oftentimes for life. A slave by choice for life. There were generally two types of slaves in this day, in this context. There were temporary slaves, people who became slaves to pay off a debt and at the end of a seven-year seven year sabbatical cycle or in the year of Jubilee, they might be freed. But there were also permanent slaves by choice. A person could commit themselves to their master for life by choice. Servant could say to his master, I want to serve you always, and they would. That's basically what Paul is saying here about himself. He is saying that he, by choice, has committed himself to be a slave, a bondservant of God's forever. And he repeats this again and again and again in his letters because this commitment is forever. Paul never wavers on this commitment. Life is for life. And those of you all who are reading that and you think man that's a bit extreme those of you all who think this commitment goes a bit too far if you're thinking that you have failed to grasp what God expects from all of us Christ says if anyone wants to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me how long forever he must give up his life and cling to me and follow me forever We've said this before, and we'll say it again and again because it just repeats throughout Scripture. Christ asked nothing less of you and me than everything. He wants all of you or nothing at all. That's true. If that's to be true of us, that's certainly to be true of our leaders. That is true of Paul and Titus. Paul is reminding Titus that he is a servant of Christ so he will know the kind of leader the church needs in an ungodly place like Crete. He is putting himself up as an example, a leader for one to follow. To make an impact for Christ, you must first be a slave to Christ. To be an instrument of his, you must first be owned by him. We have watered down that word, doulos, slave, which is to be translated slave to mean servant, because of all the negative connotations in our world. But that is what that word means. That's who Paul was a slave of God's, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we all must be as well. There's a great book on this, on the meaning of the word doulos, written by John MacArthur. It's called Slave. Check that book out, it's a good read. Notice what else Paul says of himself. He says an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul had an encounter with, was commissioned by the risen Christ himself. you could say that, if you had an encounter like like Paul did, he was unique. He was called and commissioned and instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Galatians chapter one, verse 12, I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Titus knew this, all right, which shows us he's not just writing to Titus here. If it was just to Titus, Titus would be like, Paul, I know, I know you're an apostle, but it was meant to establish Paul's authority and to be read to the Cretan Christians so that they would know Paul's authority so that that, in turn, would give Titus authority. You see what Paul's doing there? He's not writing this to brag no he is flexing his apostolic muscle to the Christians at Crete so that they would grow in their respect toward him and grow in their respect toward Titus who had been left by Paul to minister in this area at times when I'm reading a uh, looking through some Christian books and I'll, one will catch my eye I'll pick it up and I'll look on the back and I'll see what others have said about the book and y'all do that And if I see uh, certain pastors and theologians that I know and respect saying, you must read this book, then normally I'll take it with me and and purchase it. Because their comments gives that unknown author to me credibility in my eyes. That's what Paul is doing with Titus here, okay? So Paul is writing to Titus and the Christians at Crete, reminding him and them of his credentials and ministry. And he shows us by example the kind of leadership that the church needs to make an impact for christ in a world gone wrong the church needs a servant of the lord jesus christ who has been called by god and equipped with his gospel to serve his church by serving his word in addition sharing his credentials paul also shares of his service to christ church that's point number two paul's service to Christ's church. Keep reading with me in verse 1. He says, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Man, Paul did not like periods, did he? (laughs) He, He's the master of run-ons. Man, that just goes on and on. That is a very lengthy yet wonderful introduction. Paul in this passage shares his aim in ministry which shows that his motives are pure and godly. Paul shares here that the reason for his existence, his aim in life and in ministry is to reach the lost and equip the saved for the glory of God. That's Paul's ministry. He is a sold-out, committed Christ follower, a slave to Christ, an apostle appointed by Christ for the purpose of reaching the lost. It says in the middle of verse 1, for the sake of God's elect, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become sons of God, the the chosen, the elect. He He is serving for the purpose of them, for the purpose of God's elect, and to equip the saved, Paul says into verse 1, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And he's also ministering here to impart hope to God's people that produces perseverance. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. Paul makes it clear here that his desire is to be used by God to escort God's elect to saving faith to establish them in truth so that they grow in godliness. His desire is to impart the hope of Christ to committed Christ followers the hope of eternal life so that they walk in faith and persevere. Notice also he appeals to the God who can never lie. What a wonderful truth about our God. He can be trusted. His word is true. It can never be untrue and it cannot be undone. This is shared in direct contrast to the dishonest and wicked Cretans who are spreading lies about salvation. We're going to talk more about them as as we go on in our study. But Paul appeals to the one true and living God who cannot lie, who promised salvation, get this, before the ages began. Think about that for a moment. Is the gospel a new message? Is it a message that just shows up for the first time during Jesus' earthly ministry? Is Christ plan B? Did did God have one way to salvation and that way got fouled up and so he then scrambles and, and, and says, well, I guess I'll have to go with plan B. Jesus, you're up. Say no. No. Paul says... The hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus was promised by God before the ages began. And at the proper time, Paul says, God manifested. He made this message known through what? Through preaching. Through preaching. This is a major emphasis in the pastoral epistles. The importance of Christ-centered, gospel-saturated, red-hot Bible preaching. And I love it. That's good news for me that gets me fired up Paul tells Titus and the greater Cretan Christian audience that this gospel message of salvation and to the, this message of, of how to grow in godliness and the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ is made known through the preaching of the word Paul says I have been entrusted with this message to preach it by the command of God our Savior and he also commands Titus to preach it he says Titus it, it says to him in Titus chapter 2 verse 1 but as for you teach what accords with sound doctrine then on down in verse 15 of Titus 2 he says declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Preach and teach this gospel message. Why? Why did he tell Titus that? Why did he tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word? Why am I called to preach it today? Because to be saved one must hear the message of God's gospel from his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word why it's important to bring your non-believing neighbors and family here so they can hear the word preached and the Spirit of God can work in their hearts and lives and awaken them to faith. That's why it's important you're here. Because to grow in godliness, to live the, a life that honors God, God's people must first be instructed from the word. God's Word teaches us how to think. And get this, right thinking gives right desires, which produces right actions. It's the way it works. Let me say that again. God's Word teaches us how to think. And right thinking leads to the right desires, which produces the right actions. Parents, you want your kids to act right? Don't just give them rules, say do this or else, and when they don't, you spank them. You don't want to create Pharisees. You don't want them just meeting the letter of your law. You want them transformed from the inside out. You want their hearts changed and their minds changed, and the way you do that is by instructing them in the Word. When you instruct them in the Word, you know what happens? Their thoughts change. And when their thoughts change, their desires change. And when their desires change, their actions change. That's what the church needs in a world gone wrong. A church committed to doing that. So Paul encourages Titus to preach and teach the word so that more of God's elect would respond to saving faith, grow in godliness, and persevere with the hope of Christ. So Paul's credentials, they make him credible. He's a servant of God's. A Christ-appointed apostle, and now he makes it known that his service to God's elect reveals his motives are pure. His aim as an apostle is not to draw men to himself, but to point people to Jesus Christ so that they trust in him alone for salvation and grow in godliness. His, His aim is not the praise of men, but the glory of God. Amen. His goal is not to be a popular apostle, but to see the lost found, the ungodly transformed, and see believers grow up in Christ. What a wonderful desire for all of us to have. That's why he serves. That's why he does not stop preaching. That's why he sends godly men like Timothy and Titus and others and calls for them to do the same. Well, after establishing his apostolic authority and sharing his heart for the lost to be saved and discipled, Paul turns his focus to his spiritual son and fellow laborer in the Lord, Titus. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. While Paul could not be everywhere at once, What he often did was he would send the next best thing to struggling churches, his fellow laborers, his spiritual children, men whom he had discipled. For whatever reason, Paul was not able to stay in Crete long, but he left them Titus. In Paul's mind, Titus being there was the same as him being there. Titus was his protege, his disciple, a true child, a genuine Christ follower with a common faith. While I imagine they might have had different personalities, different preaching styles, their message was the same, their understanding of the gospel no different, their doctrines aligned. Why? Because Paul shared Christ with Titus. He discipled them. He took the gospel message that he had received from Christ and he entrusted it to Titus. That's how Paul was able to make an impact all over at at the same time. That's why he was able to make an impact for Christ in Crete and in Ephesus and in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia and elsewhere. He was obedient to Christ's great commission. Paul was a disciple-making disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you? It's what we've all been called to be. It's what the church needs in a world gone wrong. It needs God's people to be disciple-making disciples of Christ. Listen, to have an impact in a person's life, you got to share Christ with them. You want to influence their world, their family, their friends, their close acquaintances when they trust in Christ alone for salvation? You disciple them to be a witness for Christ and a disciple-making disciple. That's the secret behind Paul's influence. That's who he was. He was a disciple maker. And the question today is are you? That's what we're trying to produce in this church. We want to produce disciple making disciples of the Lord Jesus. I can never have the influence that you have with your friends and family. I can't. But what I can do is equip you. To disciple them. Through the preaching of the Word, through the in-depth teaching of the Word, provide you with the resources and the training and, and the prayer that you need to make this kind of impact. Notice Paul ends this passage with a very common greeting. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. For Titus to minister in this way, on this godless island, in these struggling churches, he was going to need the God of peace. The God who has provided salvation through the person and work of his son Jesus to grant him, Titus, with the grace that is needed to do this work of ministry. And we all need it as well. So I pray God's peace and his grace to you as you minister, as you enter into your mission field today. We have learned in this passage already that Paul and Titus' aim in ministry was to be used by God to escort God's elect to saving faith, to establish them in truth so that they grow in godliness and so that they're equipped for ministry. Their desire is to, to impart a future hope, the hope of Christ in them, so that they continue to live by faith regardless of their current circumstances and mature in the faith and persevere. And that is our desire at this church as well. Have you seen our mission statement? Escort, establish, and equip. We want to see those who do not know Christ come to know Him in and through the ministries of our church. We want to establish them in truth from God's Word so that they grow in godliness. We want to see our folks have the hope of Christ and live with an eternal perspective and walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called until they're called home or the Lord Jesus returns. That's what we want. Maybe you're here this morning, and upon hearing this message, you're you're saying to yourself, you know what? I have a desire like that. I I want to grow up in Christ. I want to have a hope that's not gauged by my current circumstances. I want to have the hope of Jesus. I want to belong to Him. I want my life hid in His, but honestly, I don't know where to begin. Well, let me help you. First and foremost, do you know Christ? personally have you come to the point in your life where you have forsaken sin and given your life up and over to the lord jesus is he lord of your life before you can be established in truth and equipped for ministry you have to first come to know christ and if you've never made that decision i'd like to urge you to do that today you would turn from your life of sin trust in christ alone for your salvation you can be made right with god right now and begin your journey to maturity your journey to christ likeness we can become more of the church that god has called for us to be if you would respond in obedience to the command of god where he calls for you to repent of sin and make his son lord christ came he lived and died and rose again to make a way for you to be rescued from sin and death and restored a right relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. Would you enter into a relationship with Christ today through faith alone in Christ alone? I pray you would. Let's pray together.